Hello, and welcome to the Wicked Awesome Podcast. Thank you for listening. It's been a couple weeks since I've done an episode, which means I should have a lot to share with you. I say should as I was at a bit of a loss to find something earlier in the week to discuss. I threw out a question on the face thing, asking for topic ideas, and these were some of the suggestions. People that are clean and sober, off drugs and alcohol, but still smoke weed. That was from my old friend, Amy. That brings up a question. Are you truly sober if you still smoke weed? I tend to say yes on that one, if that is indeed the only thing you're doing to cope with those urges. And you live a productive life, you can hold a job, and all that other fun stuff. Uh, All the power to you. Here's another idea. How about 80s artists that you are surprised made the Musical Hall of Fame? I would say that would be a good one, uh, possibly for Stout, Eric, and myself, just or any artists that were surprised that made the Musical Hall of Fame. Bon Jovi is actually in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's like, uh, yeah, they're in the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He, uh, this is from Andy, and Andy said Musical Hall of Fame, and I believe what he meant was Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, this is my, my friend Mike, who always picks on the fact that I do not like the band Journey. His idea is comparing a crappy band like ELO to a really great band like Journey. Okay, I really don't like either band. I can tolerate ELO, but I, you know, my feeling of uh, regarding Journey, and I will not be doing that episode. Thank you very much. Uh, From my second cousin, Kelly who's a musician, the hope for true and real music for the kids. The hope for true and real music for the kids. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just a general kind of belief to have. Uh, It'd be interesting to do a podcast on the state of music today and what kids are listening to, because as an adult, we we tend to look down on the music kids are listening to, where I believe... uh, it needs to be listened to with a more objective ear. Maybe us older folk won't get it, but I do believe it is our duty to listen and be open-minded about it. Uh, this one, I can't remember who posted it. Oh, I know who it was. Uh, uh, Ron Ann, who I work with. Olivia Newton-John in the movie Sorted Lives. I have never seen that movie as most of us know by now, Olivia Newton-John has passed away, and it did make me think about Greece quite a bit. Uh, she did a really good cover of Dolly Parton's Jolene that is worth listening to. Uh, beautiful voice, actually. Uh, this is from a childhood high school uh, acquaintance, Eric, another Eric, not the Eric I'm buddies with. 
your favorite hair rock ballad of the 80s and why it's love song by tesla yuck i can tell you right now my favorite 80s power ballad is most certainly not that song like i really really a lot of my musician friends will praise tesla no i saw tesla open for poison yes i actually did go to that concert why i did i don't know that was back in 19 early 1989 uh yeah uh and just foul mouth white trash i'm sorry people but it's just like when you go up and the lead singer whatever the heck his name is is just spouting nonsense and just f-bomb after f-bomb and lyrics to songs that are not very good it just takes away from the musicianship and it just sounds really ignorant sorry sorry i mean it's just like come on i mean i can it's i like a little swearing here or there but when you're just purposely doing it just to do it because you know you're going to get people in the audience going to me is just wrong but anyway i'll have to think long and hard about what 80s rock ballad i truly truly like because most of them are just bleh. i'm going to mention one later in this episode too and that one is that one that i'm going to mention is also bleh. anyway and then just uh, more comments on just general sobriety. So I'll talk about sobriety a little bit. I'm not going to talk about it as much as I thought I was going to. I did recently, as many of you know, hit my seven-year anniversary of not drinking alcohol. Sobriety is a interesting thing. I hesitate to say sobriety as i never really considered myself an alcoholic uh, towards the end of my drinking life i was drinking quite a bit uh, during this time i was having a lot of anxiety about life and one thing that alcohol does do is it suppresses anxiety my drink of choice was beer and i was drinking six to ten beers a day if it was a celebratory occasion maybe i'd drink 12 to 18. i was a connoisseur of local microbrews and every once in a while would i've had a microbrew i'm like damn you know what it'd be good to have one of those but i know that one would turn into like three to five so i don't and i don't get the urge really it's really actually i don't um i even at one time made my own beer and that was a hobby and i had competitions on uh, everyone's local people's uh, microbrews and gave out trophies and we had judges and the whole bit my cheap beer choice was pbr and i wonder if that's still cheap you used to be able to buy like a 30 pack for 18 dollars but something tells me that probably the price of that has gone up a little bit uh but one day, it was that August 11th, my, I just remember my son asking me how many beers I had had that day. I had drunken, drank, and I told him the truth. I was on number seven. I 
used the bathroom. I came back, and the beer I was drinking was uh, empty. I'm like, what the heck? What happened to my beer? I just opened this. And my son says, I dumped it out, Daddy. Um, and at that point, I knew right then and there that I could not drink anymore. And I've talked about what happened after I quit drinking. All that anxiety came back, and I had a spell where I really had to manage that anxiety. And I've been able to for seven years now and manage it. And so all those, all of you out there that struggle with anxiety, maybe alcohol, substance issues, you know, it's, I can relate to it to a degree. I don't know if I, I really don't believe I can relate to true addiction. I understand it and I feel bad for people who are addicted and I certainly don't judge them. I, I just see the situation is truly, truly sad. But Many people go through something similar to what I have gone through, and it's quite and it's quite normal at this point. We all know of someone that has gone through episodes of anxiety, depression, and needed help. And there are ways to cope with it: uh, therapy, medications, exercise, whatever. I mean, you find something that works for you, and sometimes it takes a while to find what does work, but just be patient with it. And that's all I really have to say about that. I do want to get into, I'm completely switching gears here, and I apologize if I'm not being consistent in what I'm talking about. But bear with me, people. Um, I'm using Reddit some. I'm trying not to spend too much time on it, because I, I, like a lot of social media platforms, you can get really sucked into it, and all of a sudden you can find yourself with hours going by, and you wonder where your day went. Um, I guess that's a form of addiction, I suppose. So I do know where to be careful with that. However, there is a dating group, a community, a community within Reddit that relates to individuals over 50, like myself, who are dating. And every once in a while, somebody posts something interesting, I'll respond to it. And... We go from there. So here's one. And with my response, I don't know if I still feel the way. I'll have to read my response and uh, see if I still feel this way. Because I flip-flop quite a bit when it comes to relationship things. So here it is. Uh, a gentleman writes, Two relationships that I have been in recently have thrown me for a loop. I'm a 53-year-old male, and I have fairly traditional views on when sex should happen. I think you should either be in love with the person or have a pretty good idea that you were falling in love with the person. Two women I have dated recently were surprised that sex was not initiated by me uh, near or around the fourth date. I didn't love either one of them at the time and was not sure either relationship had a future. Turns out, neither one did. Ultimately, although I dated one of the woman, women for a year, I dated the other woman for six weeks and she told me on the third date that I was being too gentlemanly. Translation, why aren't you instigating sex? I told her that it seemed too early and she said something like, we're not in our 20s anymore. Let's not overthink this. 
Unfortunately, sex with her became merely a physical act with absolutely no emotion attached to it. Have the sex rules changed? Is, is sex perceived as simply another fun activity on the same level as hiking and playing tennis? Would love to hear people's thoughts. I guess it's different for everyone. Maybe I need to find someone that thinks like me. Well, yeah, you do. But my response was, sex certainly can be treated as another fun activity, and so be it. As long as people are honest with each other and discuss boundaries, I say enjoy the experience. That being said, there is no doubt that sex is better with love. However, I also believe that sex needs to come before love. Otherwise, how will you truly know? Do I stand by that response? I would say largely I do. Um, well, one, sex should be fun regardless if it's with or without love. Does there need to be an emotional connection there? I'd say, yeah, it, there there does. There needs to be a slight one. Otherwise, you're just kind of going through a physical act. And uh, at least with me, I just feel kind of gross and somewhat guilty afterwards. I do believe certainly that people need to discuss what the purpose of this is. Um, is this going to be like a long-term thing or is this something to fulfill a need where we can truly have fun and enjoy each other? And I really believe that just because, I mean, even if you wait to have sex with a person, say, you know, weeks, maybe months, <coughs> excuse me, after you've been dating, I mean, I think that's healthy. I really do. But it doesn't necessarily mean you're going, you're already in love. In fact, I would hesitate to say, oh, I, I wouldn't, I mean, love takes months, really, to build. Uh, so initially, if you're going to wait until you're in love, you're going to wait a long, long time. I do believe sex is part of the following love process. As I said, how are you going to know? You may connect on every level, but then in the bedroom, there's just something that's just not there, that's not clicking. And that may be the end-all, be-all uh, for this potential love relationship. So I don't believe that you have to, in fact, I believe that you should have sex before you fall in love. Now, the fourth date, in a lot of cases, this comes up... The fourth day seems to be like the magic number where sex happens. It's like, that may be too soon. Uh, you know, in some cases, it happens sooner. Uh, but those, I won't even go there. But I mean, there's no magic number on when a couple should have sex. I mean, it might be date number eight or nine. And I believe that is fun. That is fun. Uh, here's another one. I started online dating in June. I had been widowed for nine months. My husband had been six for 15 plus years. I had been along, uh, I'm sorry, I had been alone for a very long time. I joined a bunch of apps and went on a dozen dates. After a particularly hard day, I had a date with a guy from Tinder. I really enjoyed his company and his vibe. He was so normal. 
He asked to walk me to my car, and then we kissed. It was great. It had been a long time. He asked me out for dinner a few nights later. Great dinner, lots of wine. He had walked to a restaurant, so I offered him a ride home. He invited me in. I figured, eh, Tinder, this is what it is. We're adults. I'm horny. Okay, we're doing this. The next morning, he was happy, but also surprised that this happened. I got nervous and blurted out something like, It could be a FWB kind of thing. The sex was good, and I did like him. We went out for a few more times, and I really started to like him. It's been six weeks since our first date. We text a few times a day. He wanted to see me once or twice a week for dinner or a show. I've continued to online date as I'm afraid to put too much into this. How do I evaluate the damage I've done? First, by sleeping with him so quickly and then pushing the friend thing? Am I crazy overthinking it? Help this nutty widow. Uh, then she posts ETA, which I didn't know what that meant, so I had to look it up. Because I mean, I just thought that was an airplane or train thing. Estimated time or arrival. But in this case, it means edited to add. So she came in later and added a little bit. Thank you all for letting me vent here and get support. My friends don't want to hear about it because they miss my husband or they're in a different place in life. My kids don't want to hear it, obviously. It gets hard to process in real life. Huh. Now, this one I did respond to. And then it reminded me of a story, which I'll tell you. It's kind of a lengthy one, and I apologize in advance. My response to her was, you're going with what feels good for you, and you deserve this. Have fun. As long as you're honest with this person, let things fall into place as they may. What I should have added is what your kids and friends think about it. You know, F that. I mean, you have to have a life, and your happiness matters as well. And my guess is probably her kids or friends wouldn't judge her for that. I mean, if she, she has been widowed for a while, and, you know, you need to get back out there. And who's to judge? I mean, I've known a uh, people who were very much in love with their spouses their sp that they were together with forever. The spouse dies, and a month or two later, they're seeing somebody else. And who are we to judge? Who are we to judge? Seriously. If uh, that's how they decide to proceed with their life and they're open about it, you know, all the power to them. We all deserve happiness. I mean, we all deserve happiness. And who does it hurt if a widowed or widower person dates somebody else. I mean, come on. But anyway, this story kind of reminds me of this gentleman I encountered in Brunswick, Maine many years ago when I lived there. I lived close to this store by the name of Tessa's Market. The place was so small and always incredibly, incredibly warm inside. This heat was created by a pizza oven that existed behind the cash register. The pizza and sandwiches were outstanding and very affordable. It has been the only place to this day where I've seen pesto advertised as a pizza topping. Yes, uh, pesto as a pizza topping. I often ordered a pizza with red sauce topped with mozzarella, pepperoni, black olives, and pesto. Yummy. 
and back then I was almost young enough not to worry about the calories I just consumed. Another part that made Tessa's unique is that they had wall-to-wall -wall bottles of wine. This is where I developed my taste for Merlot. You could buy cheap bottles that they had a regular rotation of or expensive bottles of stuff you'd have a hard time finding anywhere else uh, in the state. Many wine connoisseurs would have a list of wines they would buy on a regular rotation and the owner of the store would create individual boxes for these customers. This is where I encountered a, <clears throat> a particular gentleman. <coughs> Excuse me, he was, a, he was tall, uh, late to mid 50s, had this darkish gray beard. He was wearing a winter hat and a red L.O. bean jacket. And I also remember this being around Christmas time, and an accurate physical description of this man would be that he looked like a skinny Yukon Cornelius from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. You know, you remember Yukon Cornelius, the guy that drove the sled that, uh, you know, Rudolph and the dentist uh, elf there found. Anyway, he was a customer and in front of he was the customer in front of me buying this box of various wines the owner got together uh, the owner of the store happened to be at the register and these two chatted for a bit you could tell they knew each other after the owner asked him how are you holding up the man shrugged while holding his box and looked like he was about to cry i said thank you and walked out of the store when i walked to the counter the owner told me that the man had recently lost his wife to cancer and this gentleman was truly, truly crushed. He added, it's too bad, as he's the nicest guy you can imagine. There's so much involved. This happened, this incident, this uh, event that I'm telling you, this happened nearly 20 years ago, and I still remember this vividly. This man seemed so alone and sad. And the only other time I saw him, he was walking down the street, wearing the same jacket and hat, hands in pockets, walking by himself and moving fast uh, along the sidewalk as if he had purpose. I guess I remember this at the time just because I just sensed he truly, truly was in love and didn't really know how to exist and without the love that he had. And he just seeming resigned to himself that not experiencing this feeling again and again i'm making some judgments here because i don't know this guy and i just these are the uh, these are the only two times i ever saw him then uh, okay this is where the other hair metal songs ballads gonna come up it made me think of the character in skid row's video of i remember you okay so hair metal fans out there this will be the last, only and last time I refer to Skid Row on this podcast, so please pay attention. You remember that video? It blew up on MTV, played all the time in the fall of 1989 when I was a freshman in college. So the video is of a homeless guy holding pictures of a time when he was truly in love. The assumption is made that she died and he doesn't know how to go on, so he lost everything. And there's no happy ending to this. It's a little bit tear-jerking, I must admit. Do I think the song is beautiful? No. Many people do. And anyway, uh, the video itself is a bit of a tear-jerker, and it does make you think about 
how love can capture you to the point that you don't know how to go on once you lose someone, which is sad, which is truly, truly sad. I think it's like the saddest thing in the world, actually. No one wants to experience it. And I don't even know why I'm telling the story now, other than that the Reddit post by this particular woman made me think about who individuals who have lost spouses they adore. Having friends and family judging you for seeing other people after a spouse dies, I hope, especially in her case, uh, is an inaccurate perception. If people are to judge you for moving on from a dead spouse, it's truly their problem, not yours. Many people won't find the type of love they once had with another, but in my mind, so be it. It's okay. As I said in my response to her, have fun. You can have fun. And you don't have to compare one love to another. There's just different types of love out there. Uh, here's another one. Male 59 here using online dating. And have no issues connecting and dating. The problem, it seems to me, is when I bring up my financial status. Although debt-free, with good credit, and a steady job, I'm not prepared for retirement. And I rent, don't own. So how much and when do you mention your financial situation? I think it's important to be honest early so that if financial independence is high on their list of deal-breakers, we don't waste our time. Typically, is a retirement-ready partner a top priority when you talk about it? Thanks for all the responses. Okay, so he's a little bit older than I am, closer to retirement age. I don't know, but my response was, think about your happiness and what's worthy to you. From there, people will be drawn to you for the right reasons. And that's kind of a general, that's general advice I'd give to uh, pretty much any single person. you got to think about your own happiness and what's truly important to you. I rent. I, my lease runs out in March. I don't know what I'm going to do after that. There's some decisions I need to make, but I may, I do know that I may not own a house for a long, long time, possibly ever again in my pant. But that being said, I am financially independent and I can support myself and that makes me feel good about me I have no problem sharing that to anyone I it's not important for me to have a lot of expensive toys I drive a newer simple car I don't wear a lot of expensive clothes I will even go to a thrift store and buy clothes um, again it's about my happiness and what I feel comfortable and the fact that I am financially independent. And that makes me feel good about me. And from there, I hope I project that out. And positive vibes and positive people pick up on my positive vibes. Vibes. And they are drawn to me. So I'll leave this episode with... Uh, I created a post on Reddit that I won't read or even mention uh, now, the general idea of the post was ambivalence when it comes to dating and building a relationship with someone. My post was misunderstood by a few, and I was accused of playing mind games with the women that I'm dating. Though I do always welcome constructive criticism, some of the responses I received were, quite frankly, just unfair. 
I am certainly not one to drag anyone through an over-emotional obstacle simply to satisfy my ego, and far from it, in fact. I am always very open and honest with the individuals that I date. Now, that being said, I don't disclose everything up front. I don't feel like I need to, and I don't feel like my date needs to either, and I don't believe that's being deceived. What I don't believe needs to happen is to express whether or not someone is looking for a long-term relationship in the early going. I mean, in fact, it's not okay. I mean, it's okay to not know what you want in a relationship and just see where things go. When I read a profile and see that someone is looking for a long-term relationship, I make a couple of what I consider healthy assumptions. One, they are trying to protect themselves from pervy guys out there that are looking to hook up. And or, two, if things go right for someone after a few dates, they will look to exclusively see that person and potentially fall in love down the road. I certainly don't expect people to see a long-term future with me until months of getting to know each other. The comments I received centered around this idea that I don't, that I don't, whoops, I mistyped something there, that the fact that I don't know what I want and also the fact that I don't express this or say this to the person I'm dating up front. It's deceitful, really. So I have to say on the first date that, you know what, in a relationship, I really don't know what I want. I don't know if I want a long-term relationship, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, really, do you have to reveal that? I mean, I'm not lying on my dating profile. It certainly doesn't say I'm looking for a long-term relationship. I think it says something along the lines of I'm looking to meet new people, and have fun with new adventures. I believe it says something simple like that. And I could add to it, I suppose, that from there we'll see where things go. If the subject came up, yes, I'd say something along the lines of, yeah, I'm not sure. Ultimately, I do believe I want to fall in love again, but, you know, we'll see. However, I firmly believe there's a long get-to-know-someone phase when it comes to dating. Now, this may be different for younger individuals who desire to be married and have kids. I've done that, and that's, you know, part of my life that I fulfill. I am speaking specifically about me and other people in their 50s who I have encountered that are in the, a similar situation as I am in. Now, some of those people will say that they do want a long-term partner, and that's fine. That's fine. But I never assume that that person is going to be me after a date or two. No, no. I mean, that's ridiculous to assume. Again, the process of falling in love takes time, and it should. As I mentioned about the gentleman above, it's just like, you know, have sex while you're falling in love. It's like, I mean, I've never, I, I've never had a situation be anything other than that. I mean, the times I've been in love, it's not like, 
we had, I mean, it was a while after the sex happened before we realized we're in love with one another. So anyway, those are my thoughts. I think I'd like to talk more about the ambivalence part of dating later on. Uh, a very dear friend of mine came up with an idea of an anti-bucket list. And I believe that might be my next episode. So these are things, a bucket list are things that we hope to do within a certain set period of time. I, I created a bucket list uh, when I turned 50 of items, 10 items, 10 things I would like to do before I turn 60 in the next 10 years. So the anti-bucket list will just be things that you or I would never, ever, ever think about doing that. And I believe this is going to be a fun episode. So I'll throw that out there on social media. I, I have some responses already based on her post, but I want to hear more. As always, I love you all. Take care of yourself. Until next time. Be well.